This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hello and welcome to the Back of the Nest Review Show. My name is Chris Hamley and on this week's show I am your host. Uh, as me and my panel look back at a famous 3-2 victory away at the Emirates Palace of finally being Arsenal at the Emirates. Uh, we'll be talking about some key topics, looking back over the game and also having a smattering of your contact as well. And we'll be right back to do that after this short message. There are 99 reasons to hate Brighton. Homophobia Homophobia. doesn't need to be one of them. Follow us on Twitter at Proud and Palace. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is... You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Right, welcome back after that wonderful short break there, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Got loads done during it. Um, It's very, very very busy guy you know so let's have a look we'll chat with the old panel hello patrick hello how are you <laughs> Bit of delay is it is the delay because at the time of recording it is 5 20 a.m where you are yeah it's uh but i can actually say good morning and we all on the same basically in the morning for the first time ever so that's a oh, nice wow. change Wow, that is pretty impressive. <laughs> Plus, you know, does that is that a suggestion we should always record at this time, do you think? Never. Never, <laughs> Never again, no. I don't really think I'm awake, so this could be interesting. Uh, what's been going on with you? I have a confession to make. Um, this Yesterday's match was the first time I've watched Palace since the Watford loss. I was so, I honestly, I was so devastated by, the, by losing to Watford, I just skipped the Huddersfield, Newcastle, Man City match. I just went and did other things like play golf. So I was happy to watch yesterday's game, but again, I hadn't watched in about a month. And I actually was very mentally uh, refreshed by not watching Palace. Interesting. I wouldn't have... Um, I mean, I keep putting myself through the pain, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but then you get the little bonuses like like yesterday when it just exactly. out of nowhere. But you've, you've timed it well. I do feel um, that perhaps if you'd watched more games and you know you might have brought some better luck like you did against Arsenal but maybe the, <laughs> let's, let's let's credit it we'll credit you with that break uh turning us around and giving us that famous victory at the Emirates we've also got Mr Chris Clark hello Chris Clark all right comrade oh, God. <laughs> I, <knew you'd> like. <laughs> <laughs> I like it every time you yeah. say it um, that's why I do it so you 
Yeah, so it's five hours before you usually get out of bed. At least. Um, how are you? Still drunk? Uh, still drunk, still tired. Um, I mean, this might as well be 5am for me as well, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but, you know, to be honest, I mean, I didn't help things by then staying up till 3am uh, last night looking into my family tree because a popular genealogy website has a free offer on at the moment. Uh, so I was doing some research and found that um, we have a great granddad who went to prison. Fantastic. Wow. Um, well, I I did a similar check, not recently. You'll have to give me the name of that website. We'll give them the, what's the name of that website? We can say ancestry.co.uk. Other websites are available. Yeah, they are. Um, um, what is their free offer? Just for my um, own personal well, interest. Sorry, everyone, to hide that. The, the free offer is um, it, it's free until the end of um, well, we don't do time, but it, it, <laughs> it ends today. Um, but you get fourteen <laughs> days free if you then sign up as well. All right, I might have a look at that. Look, well, apparently, well. I didn't look, but it was uh, on my my brother's wife's side of the family sort of looked into our family history. I don't know if they were doing research to see if he was able to marry her, but I haven't really inquired. But they found out on my mum's side we're Romany, and on my dad's side we're essentially German bigamists. So good times. Good times. Um, It's good to share, isn't it? And we've also got Cy. Hi, Cy. Hi, how are you doing? You all right? Yeah, Mike, any bigamists in your family? No bigamists, no bigamists, as far as I'm aware, but that, it couldn't be from under <laughs> woodwork. You never know. Yeah. What have you been up to this week? Anything exciting? So I took the family to the zoo yesterday. This is the zoo where uh, Easter Day, a lovely little family of chicks was there, a little girl watching, and a giant heron came and ate all the chicks, and she started screaming, <laughs> Mummy, make it stop, make it stop. Please make it stop, Mummy. So that made my Easter, made my Easter. Oh, I want to do a podcast about that. <laughs> that is amazing. It, it was. It was. Um, we are pushed for time. I really want to talk more about that, but I can't because we've got to get into the palace chat. Um, it's going to be a relatively short and sharp show today. Um, but yeah, hey, um, great, great story from side there. I'm slightly disturbed by it. Um, and as I'm sure the children were. So, um, first topic we're going to have a little chat about, and it obviously links into what was a fantastic win and a great performance by a number of players. And one of those who stood out massively um, was Wilfred Zaha. Uh, a lot of stuff in the press this week about Wilf, um, obviously with quotes this time uh, in the Daily Mail with Adrian Kajumba. Uh, obviously, Roy very much suggesting that the quotes were in specific responses to questions and have been framed in such a way that it made him look like he was saying he wants to leave and get out of Palace. And that's not the case. He was answering a question regarding, is he ambitious? Does he want to play in the Champions League? Which, when you look at it, it's fair. And of course, a player like that is always going to say those things. You can't say, no, I'm not an ambitious player and I do not want to play in the Champions League. and I don't feel I deserve a chance to do so. You're not going to say that. So um, whether or not it's a massive panic, I, I don't know. I don't think so. But um, there's also a suggestion that, you know, certainly on his agent side of things, maybe that, that there's a belief there that now is the right time to move. I think for Palace, probably his fee is um, is probably going to be as high as it's going to be. He's at his absolute peak now at 26, just moving into those best years. And um, you can't couldn't really blame him in reality if he wanted to go and play with uh, with a higher level of players, and perhaps he does deserve that chance. So it might be right in the summer for all parties, but of course we never, ever, ever want to see Wilfred leave. What was interesting is the um, the, the, the calibre of teams he's now being linked with. Um, of course, there was a PSG have come into it, um, which would be an incredible move for him, and I'd certainly be a lot happier to see him, see him go there. 
Yeah, no, I know. This links into some of the contact we've had this week on the uh, on the chats. And Jason Babin said he hopes that Zaha scores a hat-trick before he leaves in the summer. So I think Jason's thinking it's a done deal, which I hope it's not. But if he is going to score a hat-trick, I would say I'd hope it's against Cardiff when I'm there travelling all that way. But... <laughs> But to be fair, I'm still torn about the Brighton thing. So who knows? But hopefully, Jason, you're wrong, hopefully. Yeah, for sure. Go, go on, Patrick. Yeah, um, it's interesting. I think I really think the Wolf said the right thing uh, at every turn. I, I listened to Hodgson post-match. And again, he definitely made the point that, you know, he's on a four-year contract. How else could he answer that question? And, he, you know, he wants to show ambition. And I think that's been my biggest problem with Palace. I just think we've lacked ambition Uh we bought players, but just on the field, we really haven't pushed on. And again, you know, we survived yesterday, you know, which is great. But like you, Chris, I I think it might be time that he'd leave. And I, but I just don't want him to stay, you know, domestically. I see Spurs United linked. Absolutely not. I couldn't I couldn't handle that. Um, I'd have no problem with PSG or Dortmund. Uh, I, I think he deserves a Champions League football. Um, I'd love it to be with us, obviously. But we all know it's not going to happen. Um, so... It's 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 tough. I just think financially, it might be the best time to capitalize that he's twenty six, same age as yeah, my yeah. son. So, um, you know, he's he's in the peak of his career. Could he stay another year? Of course he could. But what would what does he get from staying for another year? Besides, you know, the the adulation of the crowd. He's done so much this year. He's pushed on. He scored more goals. He's got an assist. He's you know, he's playing for Ivory Coast. I mean, I think it's the right time for him to leave. I don't want him to leave, obviously. I mean, I saw, you know, when I was a kid, Kenny Sansom left, broke my heart, Ian Wright left, broke my heart, Went to, both went to Arsenal. Then he was linked, I believe, to Arsenal at one point. That can never happen. I hate that club so much. <laughs> but again, I, if, he, if he was to leave this summer, I wouldn't be grudging. And I hope he goes again, goes to Europe. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, there's there's a few things in there. I mean, one of the, I kind of looking at it yesterday, and I've talked before about how much I like his link up with Benteke. And you just think if he was playing alongside a, a fit Benteke all season, I do wonder how many goals he might have scored. Um, but he, you know he has been much more clinical. The the end product is there uh, these days, and definitely playing playing centrally he does look really dangerous. Despite the fact that people get you know really preoccupied with the fact that oh he's a winger, but you know he's he's really impacting the game in central areas when he's got the right people around him much more these days. And again, you go back to having the right people around him. There's a couple of things that I think we we need to say here. I mean, obviously, everyone wants the best for Wilf and wants the best for Palace. And it may be that um, in terms of Wilf's development and getting him the exposure to that Champions League football that he deserves, that moving on is the best thing. Um, And it might be that that's good business for the club. If you're looking at it from the point of view, as though this was a good player at another club, you would, it would be very easy to be hyper rational like that. But there actually is a massive amount of emotion involved here. Um, two things though. This season, you know, we are still within touching distance of qualifying for Europe. That would obviously be take a weird concatenation of results, um, but it's not beyond the realms of possibility if we get the results that we can. And then the second thing is, you know, every season that we've been in the Premier League, we've either had a crummy start or we've been rubbish at home. So what about next year we try having a good start and being good at home as well as good away? then maybe we could qualify for one of those top competitions and we'll fight need to go anywhere because we'll be in the Champions League with us. <laughs> now, um, there's two things out of that, Chris. Well, first is the use of the word concatenation. I thank uh, you. I had to Google it. So it's a, ser- it's a series of interconnected things, uh, everybody at home who's normal and not like Chris. Um, <laughs> if you knew that, I'm sorry for patronising you, but I don't think most people do. I didn't know it. 
and I, I know lots of things. Um, but more importantly, the point you're making is an interesting one. Um, again, particularly the, uh, the the sort of dichotomy, not dichotomy, I suppose it's, it's more, you know, you're talking about opposites, aren't you, in terms of the home form and the away form. And it's not quite as easy as just going, let's be better at home. But um, I think there's an interesting point in that, which a few people have brought up in talking about Wilf, which is, you know, the timing of him talking about ambition and the, the, the groans around the fan base that, you know, we have a lack of ambition in attacking teams. And I think even though what a great result it was, and I am going to focus on the positives, there was that point, I think it was even made in some of the commentary when I was watching the highlights earlier, that how much the game was better for Palace when we actually got on the front foot because we really made Arsenal creak and, and, and look very, very shaky at the back. And You know, the, you always sort of wonder if you have that desire to attack more would you? Would we be more dominant in games? Would Wilf more see more of the ball and be able to score more goals and get more assists and just generally enjoy playing football more? So a lot of people have made that correlation and said he want he's he's talking about ambition because Palace are showing a lack of it and that's why he wants to leave. I don't think it is that, but it's certainly something that's in people's minds. Chris makes a great point before about you know seventh place. It's not going to happen this year. It really isn't. But when you think about the teams that are fighting for seventh, Everton's on 49 points, so are Watford, Leicester's on 48, Wolves 48, and then bring up the rear to some extent is West Ham at 43. There is no reason next year we can't compete with those sides. We just should be. I mean, Everton, you know, historically is obviously a a big club, but Watford, Leicester, Leicester, of course, won Premier League a few years back, Wolves and West Ham, we should be right there with those sides. We're never going to be a top six side. I get that. But Next, you know, we could, we really could. So if Wilf were to stay, I, I really think we could compete. But again, it's the great points. We just have to have better home form and we have to avoid injuries to key players like Sacco and again, this year, Benteke. And again, seventh is not, is not you know, crazy. But again, would Wilf want to take a chance and do that? I'm not sure he wants to. I really don't. If you look at the teams above us, though, so we're sitting there, where are we now, 12th now, I think. If you look at where we are and you look at the budgets and, and the transfer monies paid out this year, and I know I'm a bit obsessed with this, but we really have barely spent any money this year and, and, and towards the end of last year also. So if you look at where we are against what we've spent, and I know we've got a good first eleven. But actually, we haven't got really got, I don't know, Chris hates this, but we, Handel hates this, but we haven't necessarily got the squad depth that others have. And actually, I think 12th is probably where we are. Um, given the, the, our budget and, and sort of what, what we can spend in the transfer window. But that's sort of just my view. Um, yeah, I, I, I do have a little bit of <laughs> an issue with the, the squad, squad depth situation. However, you know, obviously the injuries we've got now do sort of show the fragility there. But again, that's part of that's having a, a 25-man squad. And it's, it's really worth sort of acknowledging that when we talk about money spent, you know, as a club, the issue we have is the wage budget. Really, it's you know it's extremely high. Uh, it was I think eighth in the league or something like that. But as a percentage of turnover, it's quite considerably the worst in the Premier League. So that's where the restrictions are. You can go and spend money on transfers if you like. And you know, bearing in mind, year before last, we've reported a thirty-five million pound loss or something like that. You know, you, you want to be to some degree as sustainable as possible in the Premier League. Um, and when you've got a wage bill as high as ours, you just can't go out and get the level of quality that you need to to improve the squad. And we always talk about that, don't we? If we're going to go and sign players. Not just let's not just sign a player for the sake of it. Let's go and sign a player because he improves the quality of either. Ideally, you want to improve the quality of the first team, and then obviously the player that's improving on would drop to to being a squad player. That's how you 
improve a squad. But it's so difficult to do, you know, and every you can't guarantee every transfer is going to work either. So it's so difficult to actually spend money the right way. Um, and I think we've got to be realistic and say, you know, certainly come this summer, doesn't matter how much money we put in the kitty to spend on players, we have to do something about that wage bill. You know, and that ties back into the discussion of, you know, Wilf is on a rightly on a on a very large sum of money. Uh, players like Benteke, to some degree Mayer, but also Namasako, uh, Lucas probably on a fair whack. You know, these are players who are earning big money. Um, so that also has to come into the equation when you're looking at building a squad and looking to the future as well. So look, tough decisions, all tough decisions. But, um, you know, I think pushing into Europe, it's a nice thing to talk about. But, you know, three, four games ago, we were talking about seriously going going down from the Premier League. And that's what it's like. You cannot make those plans um, because if as soon as you start looking too far ahead, and stretching too far, you're in real danger of, of falling out of the Premier League. And, you know, sometimes you don't come back for a while, as we know. Uh, anyway, let's move on. And, and we've got to talk about the other major news story from Palace from the week. And that was uh, Wayne Hennessy's charge being dropped against him. But obviously, a lot of the focus and a lot of the comment has been on the reasons for that and some scathing comments uh, from, from the FA on it, really, which was, you know, saying that he did appear to be ignorant of... Um, you know, the, the history of the Nazi salute um, and that they were very, very, you know, they, they, yeah, as I say, they were scathing about him not knowing that. That was his reason. A lot of people not really on board with that as, a, as an excuse, but you can't disprove it. And I'm certainly not suggesting it was a, a, a liar would be that person, but very, very uncomfortable situation to be in, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I can't believe it. So I was watching Have I Got News For You on Saturday, catching up with that from Friday night. And he was the butt of quite a few jokes uh, on the show. So if you haven't seen it, catch up with it. They actually have a specific element on it about him. And then anything to do with someone being slightly, um, shall we say, lacking in the intelligence department, Wayne Hennessy was mentioned. So he got a proper proper ribbon on there. Have I Got News For You on Friday. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't come out of it well, no matter what, does he? Unfortunately for him. Um, look, it's obviously a, a difficult topic to talk about, really. But it, ignorance is is almost as bad as, as someone being, you know, deliberately offensive. So whatever happened there, it was a stupid situation to be in. Uh, Roy Hodgson talked after the game, uh, before the game, sorry, suggesting that you know Wayne was now desperate to learn uh, about about history. Um, but hey, it's very, very uncomfortable, as I said. Well, I think Wayne's going to have some time to read some history books uh, next season while he's on the bench uh, or, or at another club. <laughs> um, but, you know, on, on a serious note about this, I mean, it is a serious issue, as you say, Chris. And there's, it's a very timely discussion to be having because obviously we've had um, monkey noises made at England Games recently. We've had the FA launch uh, this new No Room for Racism uh, campaign at the last home game. Um, we've had um, a, a significant number of interventions on this, including the players' social media strike last Friday, um, where they all, or a lot of them, cho- including Hennessy, amusingly, um, chose to share the image enough um, about all this abuse that's been happening. Um, and of course, I mean, um, there has also been uh, an open letter from a number of figures associated with the club, including myself. Um, encouraging uh, the club to dissociate itself from the DFLA. That's a really good point that you make there, Chris. Uh, 
a very, very interesting one. Yeah, we obviously we don't want to delve too much into the, the political realm, but you know, obviously the social media campaign um, where you know there was silence on Twitter from the, the players that contributed with the, the hashtag enough. Um, it's ex- you know it's extremely important that everyone recognises that there is a growing problem. You know, and within our fan base, there has been a, a growing problem, and it, it is you know it's idiotic. We've talked about it in the past, and you know my, my opinion on it is still exactly the same. You know that there's no room for for racism in football and in society. But whatever your politics, you shouldn't be bringing them into sport in the first place. It's not about that. It's not a platform for people to talk about their political views or push any kind of an agenda. And I just think, for me, every time someone does that, particularly when it's done in a distasteful way, uh, it damages the the reputation of the sport that we all love and we're all here to talk about. Um, so let's let's sort of move on from that. Just other other than to say, really that. You know, Hennessy, whatever your thoughts on him as, as a goalkeeper, he's a Palace player. You know, he he let himself down in, in a number of ways, whichever way you look at it, either through, you know, a stupid gesture or through a, as he's, as he's put across, uh, a degree of ignorance. And let's hope that's the end of it and we don't ever see anything like that again because it's, it's not right. Um. So let's move on to edging towards the game, really. And we want to talk, first of all, Patrick, you brought this one up to the, uh, to the table here. And it's the fact that we employed the um, lesser spotted four four two. We hadn't seen it for a, a while. We've seen it in moments in games, I guess. But it was the narrow four four two from last season. Obviously, Mayer on the left, Coyote slash MacArthur. They were sort of in, interchanging a little bit, but on, on the right-hand side there. And... Um, Wilf and Benteke up front, and obviously the, the you know we'll get into the towards starting at left back. But as a system, it seemed to work incredibly well. Back to the, the way it worked last season. Yeah, um, gotta have give credit to Roy for this because um, I'll set up in a three four three, so they plays Mustafi, Kashoni, and Mavropanos, and if you're playing against a three in the back, you cannot play one up top. It would never work because you know basically they just bully Benteke. What happened was actually Benteke bullied them. And with Wilf playing so close to him, it really, really was effective. I got again, I got to give him credit. My concern at the beginning of the match actually was the lack of width. I thought not starting Townsend would have been a mistake because if you've got Benteke up top, you have to have someone swinging crosses in, it seems like, right? But I thought Maya and MacArthur did a really good job of uh, creating some width and linking up with Wilf and Benteke. And I thought Ward and Juan Basaka also gave us that width. And uh, when you had Jenkinson and uh, Kalashinac wide and you had um, Ward and uh, Wampasaka marking them, I thought it really worked well. Um, uh, I just think that, again, I've, I've often criticised Roy for his tactics. But for that, yesterday, to play the four four two in the way that he played it, kind of narrow, I thought it really worked really well. Yeah, definitely. We, we look much more solid. He talked after the game. Uh, again, it's, it's all things that we know about Roy. It's all about having the right shape, accepting that Arsenal are going to have a lot more of the ball than you are, uh, and just being able to defend. But what was really noticeable, as you, as you pointed out, was the the job that Benteke did in that four four two. He was an absolute nightmare. He won so much in the air. Oh, I haven't checked the stats yet. I'll probably do that when someone else is talking shortly. But um, I just thought he, he was an absolute menace. And, you know, Wilf was just prowling around him, just waiting for those opportunities. Of course, the second goal came from exactly that, a great flick on from Benteke. And when we talk about the the effect of Benteke's play on Arsenal, you, their two centre-backs were really ruffled by him. You could see that with Mustafi in particular, that mistake on the second goal, just 
waiting for his keeper to come for a ball that he was never going to come to, just letting Wilf run off him and just be stronger than him. Um, and that comes from from them having a really hard time. Because you imagine when they're, they're playing possession football, they don't have a huge amount to do. They're often, you know, might, they might receive the ball and just recycle possession a little bit, but they're not really having that kind of a a battle in games against uh, a team such as ourselves. So it's, you know, as you say, really good tactics from Roy, but it's all about the players playing the positions properly as well. It's not just about setting them up in that way. It's the execution. And we've seen in the past, Roy's perhaps got the right setup, but the execution's been poor. So everything came together so well. Yeah, and you look at the stats, Chris, you know, looking at uh, Arsenal, 73% possession, we had 27%, but we had 16 shots. They only had, they had 12. We created 18 chances. They created 10. We had four big chances, obviously, because we scored three goals. And it's it's really a credit um, to him that, you know, we see the possession, no problem. You know, we played our counter-attack and it really worked well. And I want to give a shout out also to Kiate. Those you guys watch, I thought we played really well in the first 21 minutes, but I didn't notice him. He didn't notice him because he was really doing a great job of either switching off onto either Lacazette or Obama Young. And really, he negated the, either one or the other for the first 30 minutes of the match. He really played. And then what you notice towards the end of the first half, he, he started to get forward and he had that great chance, that double chance that Leno saved. So he really, I, I mean, people have not given him enough credit. I, I love him as a player. He's underrated. And I thought yesterday he really did a great job of not particularly screening the back four, but just really picking up someone that allowed Kelly and uh, and Dan to do their job on the other uh, forward. And I thought, again, the only issue I really thought was that we kind of gave Ozzy a little bit too much space. But just, again, tactically-wise, Roy, uh, Roy really had his spot on yesterday. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, the, the space for Ozil, you, you're absolutely right. And I think that comes from... You know, one of the weaknesses of the system, I guess, and again, I don't want to focus too much on the weaknesses, is when everyone's so focused on being in the right position, they don't always follow the runner. Exactly. And again, that was and that was key for the for the equalising goal from Meza Ertzel. Um, but you know, in terms of in terms of the four four two, obviously, it's a it's a very strong system when we play it right. I think that's the key. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the, the players within that, and I want to I want to talk about Joel Ward first of all because. It just hadn't entered my brain that we could we had him as an option to play left back as well. Um, even though obviously we've seen him perform there at Premier League level in, in a you know a very very positive way in multiple seasons. I think I think when we had we have Mariapa at right back and him at left for for a period of time, and um, obviously Kelly had played right back when he was playing left as well. Obviously Kelly had the spell at left back, but you know the 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 strength that it brought us in terms of the, the, the one-on-one defending, just doing the right things, being in the right positions. And of course, most importantly, playing narrow. We talked last week, PVA's really struggling when Roy has got us set up for the fullbacks to tuck in narrow and play almost like a force, almost act as four centre-backs. Uh, you know, he wants to be up on, on that left-hand side, bombing up and down, doesn't want that level of responsibility really. And I think that was perhaps key in the defensive performance. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm. I think I'm number one in Joe Ward's fan club. Maybe number two behind Lucy. Maybe I don't know. But um, formerly of this parish. But I have to say, I thought he was excellent, and he never lets us down. He's an excellent squad player to have as backup for for either right or left back, even centre back if he needs to. And I think under Pulis, he might have even played midfield at one stage. So I think. Yeah, he's definitely a great player to have in the team and he did an excellent job. He was really unlucky, wasn't he? I think the the, um, was it the Aubameyang goal, second one bounced off him and teed up perfectly for Aubameyang to finish. I can't even say his name. Uh, <laughs> but I'm trying, I'm trying. But yeah, he was excellent yesterday. 
Yeah, for sure. And um, another one who we will talk about in that system, Max Mayer, uh, playing on the left of a central midfield. It's been talked about. I think it was... Uh, why can't I think of Ray's <laughs> surname? What's happened to my brain? You know, Ray. Uh, hey, good morning. It's how Lewington. Oh, Lewington. It's not how no. Lewington, yeah, yeah. Oh my god, what happened there? It's too early. It's too early. Um so yeah, Ray Lewington was obviously on, on record as saying that, that they think that is um Mayer's best position is playing central left. Um but you know, and obviously the injury to, to Chris Clark's favourite, Jeffrey Schlupp, um <laughs> put us put us in that position where Max could play there. And um I thought he was extremely effective in that. In that role, what did you reckon, Chris? Did you, you know, comparing him and him and Jeff? Well, I mean, they're different types of players, aren't they? And it's a different type of game. Um, I think this was a game where Maya was going to flourish, if if ever he was, because you know, it, Arsenal are not known for being heavy and strong in midfield. You know, quality, yeah, but not they don't play a physical game, and that's the weakness that Max has had in the performances that he's had for us so far is that he does look a little bit lightweight, spend some more time in the gym. I mean, not that I'm one to talk um, on that, get a bit, <laughs> get a bit heavier. I, I am one to talk on that. Um, and, you know, then I think that he, he can be the real deal for us. He had a really good game yesterday, um, but I think it, it was well set up for him to do that. Um, you know, if we were trying to play a tighter game against the more physical side, I still think Schlupp has a place um, in our squad to help us, boost that but I think you know if, if you want to play a more attacking game against a more lightweight team then you know Max definitely has his place too No it's a, it's a good point you raised that you, you know the physical battle wasn't really there um, although at times there were some, some rough challenges going in um, and it's interesting also to look at the sort of number of touches both Coyote and Mayo were pretty low on the, the scale of touches 34 for Coyote 37 for Mayo um, so in terms of how they impacted the game it, you know, it doesn't really seem statistically like they did. But I think when you look at how our attacks unfolded, and bearing in mind how little of the ball we saw in, in, a, in a meaningful way, um, it, it enabled us to create a, a huge number of chances for 27% possession. And for me, that was that's the key part. That's why that system worked. We broke properly. And most importantly, I was watching the game uh, with my brother-in-law. And we were, I was just saying to him, look at the difference when we've got the ball, particularly the first half, but even before we scored, when we were on the front foot, we looked dangerous. We saw that they were shaky at the back, but the players moved up properly. And it was only when we went ahead and we started to drop back that little bit that we actually became under um, under any serious pressure. But getting players forward, moving the whole team, keeping in position, but moving further up the pitch, it makes such a difference because we were winning the second ball. We weren't 10, 15 yards off of it. And that's, to be honest, that's what I want to see. That's what I've been talking about these few weeks, what, what I feel has been missing. Um, and I know we had a comment on it um, on the socials from Ben Agbamoni when he was talking about, he said, that's what we want, performances like that. Gritty, he's put fogged, but I think he means dogged. But it may be fogged, so gritty, fogged, and super clinical on the attack. And that is exactly what we were. We were clinical, we created chances, but most importantly, it was that grittiness, that doggedness in midfield putting those challenges in pressing the ball and closing those gaps you know not having the midfield and the defense in one kind of section of the pitch and 
isolating the attack. The attack came back with the rest of the team. It was just, it looked more fluid. It looked more organized. And I was extremely happy to see it, I have to say. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And Amber, I want to add one other thing. I think our set plays yesterday were the best they've been all season. I want to, I'd like to credit Scott Dan for that. I've I've always thought that he's one of our most dangerous players on corner kicks and uh, free kicks. And I think if you look back at uh, two of the goals, he's a, he plays a huge part in two of them and he could have actually scored scored himself. He and uh, Benteke got a little caught up in second half. But again, a side like us, if we're not going to capitalise on, on counter-attack, we have to be more clinical on uh, set plays. And how many times have we had t- 10 to 15 corners in a match and then bemoaned the fact we haven't scored one goal? So I think that's been a key. Dan yesterday was very big on our set plays. For sure, yeah. And that's always been a strength of his, hasn't it? Being able to get his, get his head on the ball uh, for set plays. Definitely. Um, you know, we saw it. Obviously, the the third goal was was Dan winning a header from a Luca corner. But his yeah, you're right. His corners were were much better than we've seen. Um, I don't know particularly what particularly why that was. Whether there'd been some <laughs> some intense work on it or something <laughs> like that. But you just, you just don't know, do you? You kind of thinking, well, you know, why couldn't you have done that more? But obviously, every week in every game, how many players, quality players, seem to hit the first man with the majority of their corners? I don't know. But um, it, you know, but yeah, yeah you say. Dead ball, brilliant. And we'll just go to that first goal. I mean, first of all, we were under a lot of pressure for the first goal. Um, and we, we broke out brilliantly. And Wan-Bissaka slid the ball up the wing to, towards Benteke, who drew a foul brilliantly. Lovely footwork. You know, again, you're looking at a player who's starting, seems to be starting to find some real form, get some real confidence, gets fouled. And, I mean, again, the run, you can look at, all day at how bad the Arsenal defending was, not actually picking up Christian Benteke from a free kick. But I think we set up brilliantly. We were quite deep. Everyone was running into the box for that free kick. We weren't static trying to win a header. Everyone was on the move, and that was the key. There was probably some blocking off in there. I haven't overanalyzed it yet, which I'm sure I still will do after this podcast. But, you know, Benteke runs free. There was a number of players who ran free, beat the offside trap perfectly. Great header. Um, keeper nearly saved it got off got a hand to it but he did he headed it in the right way and it was instinctive he didn't have too long to think about it and that's key for Benteke as long as he doesn't have too long to think about it I'm actually relatively confident that he can put those chances away so great goal first goal for us to score it, it was an excellent goal and, and it, said it was well taken header I love the fact it was Chambers who kept him on side because I hate Chambers I've got an irrational hatred of him so it was great that uh, basically <laughs> and also for the free kick I love the fact the fullback was like I'm not having this he just pulled his shirt back he thought I'm not even going to bother trying to keep up with Ben Teke I'm just going to pull him back I just can't be bothered and, and obviously to score from that was excellent one thing I want to pick up is just to um, rebut some of the things that are said um, by people who sit around me 
uh, home games, um, where they are constantly berating Benteke for his positioning. Um, and I, I kind of, I mean, I'm probably guilty of this myself at times in that, you know, you might look at Benteke being way over by the sideline um, when that long clearance comes to him um, and say, well, why on earth is he there? Well, the answer is um, he drew the foul, he won the free kick, he then moved into the centre and was ready to receive the ball when it was crossed to him. So, you know, that's one in the eye for you, haters. Um, I think Benteke did a great job yesterday. <laughs> Absolutely right, he did. And um, yeah, so obviously a great opening goal. The, the team was just playing with confidence at that point, which I really like to see. Um, and it, at that moment, even though it was very early in the game, you know, I just felt, you know, this this that was going to be our day. I just think we were playing in such a way. And again, hope hate to fo- focus on it, but Arsenal just looked so shaky at the back and we got so much joy, you know, in those full-back areas. I'd, every time we, we broke, there seemed to be this massive gaping space on the right-hand side. I don't think they really knew how to play against a team that wasn't really operating with orthodox wingers. Again, another great uh, plus point for Roy and his tactics there. But we did look, we did drop back sort of gradually after we went ahead and we started to invite pressure, but again, kept it solid. Didn't really concede anything like a major chance as, as we went into half-time. But we did concede a goal uh, after half-time from, from Mesut Ertz. So we talked about it already, really, but he started the move, moved it out wide, came back in the centre and... Um, great little ball from Lacazette to him and just again I think so Max Mayer and I think at one stage was the closest player to him uh no I'm thinking of Aubameyang earlier on so um, I think basically Ertzel just ran off it was Coyote initially sorry um and then as he runs past Luca, Luca doesn't pick him up as he runs between the defense no one picks him up all of a sudden he's in there in the middle and again like I said earlier that's probably you know, one of the drawbacks of our, our system and how we're very rigid in in our positions. It's sometimes noticeable that midfielders can run off our midfield and not get picked up. Um, let's talk about the, the finish from Ertzel, though, because he gets in very wide angle. And unfortunately, for I think second second game in recent memory, Guaita sits down before the ball's been hit and um, Ertzel just smashes it. Great finish, really, really hard shot, but... Got to be disappointed, I guess, with the keeper being beaten at the near post there. Yeah, um, I want to go quickly to the uh, interview that um, Gaeta did with, um, give me a second, who was it with? He was on Palace TV, but also... Ed Marriott. Right, thank you, Ed Marriott. It was, it was brilliant. Um, he's a, he's going to be a legend here. I really, I love everything about him. Um, but as far as that goal, Chris, you're right. I mean, again, I, I admit that I didn't watch the game, but I did see the highlights of the Man City game. I, I don't know which goal it was, but he definitely went down early now. The interview said that, you know, the style, you know, the Spanish style of goalkeeping is a little different. So I think he was trying to anticipate Ozil going low and Ozil went high, but he has done it twice now. So I'm not, I'm not going to uh, be too upset because like he, he came back and made some great saves towards that match. We obviously won the game, but um, that, that was a little concerning if that's something that team to picked up on or something that he always does. I kind of haven't analyzed it too much. I mean, I like him as a goalkeeper, love him as a goalkeeper, love him as a leader, love his personality, touching the post, etc. So, but I, I I would like to kind of watch him going forward and see if that becomes a, a thing. And if he adjusts himself, I think he's going to be here for a very long time. I think he's going to be a, a legend here. I think he's going to help us actually win something. I, I have that much confidence in him. I really just love everything about him. I think the team plays better with him, with Sacco in front of him, we're that much better. 
But um, I, I would be a little concerned about that goal. I mean, it didn't cost us, but it, I was a little worrying that he went down. I thought a little bit early. I made the comment on social media at the time. But again, thankfully, it didn't cost us. Yeah, for sure. Again, uh, watching it with my brother-in-law, he doesn't get to see Palace too much in recent times. But he was commenting on, on how decisive Guaita was about coming out and collecting the ball in dangerous areas as well, which, again, we saw him struggle in those windy conditions as most keepers would. But going back to the point that you're making, Patrick, in that interview, he talked about it's the low hand style, he called it, didn't he? Yes, where, that's it. Exactly. Um, talked about da- David De Gea yeah. does the same thing. Yeah. They, he crouches down, get anticipating. You're exactly right. I think he's looking at what everyone talks about in that position, drill the ball low and across the keeper. And if the keeper saves it, he'll be tipping it out into the path of someone on rushing in the, in the air. Everyone talks about that as the right way to finish. Right. But when you, uh, Zertzel's got class, hasn't he? You know, bottom line. Um, and when, like you say, whether or not that's been picked out or he's just seen seen the obvious gap, I'm not sure. But no keeper will like to get beaten at the near post. That's the one thing I would say on that. And hopefully we don't see too much more of it. Um, so look, I thought after that we did extremely well. We didn't, we weren't rocked by that goal. You know, we've seen in recent times the the sort of players look a little bit shaky after after conceding, but we went straight back on the front foot. Um, and yeah, okay, it was a mistake from Mustafi that let us in, but how good is it seeing Wilfred Zaha doing just that orthodox striker thing? And that takes me back to his first goal for Palace, a flick on from Alan Lee, and he went and finished. Uh, was it against Leicester? I think it was. Uh, when he was young, but yeah, and um, I think it was we've talked about this before. But in the Player of the Year um, do at Sellers Park later on that year, I, I talked to Wilf and he was talking about the fact that he saw himself as a striker who liked to play around a, a bigger player who could flip the ball on for him and he could run onto it. So that goes right back to to original Wilf. I, lo- I loved it. It was excellent, wasn't it? It was such a good finish. And um, basically, Wilf had Mustafi all day, didn't he? And I think the Arsenal TV afterwards, it was hilarious watching that. And, and they were saying that Wilf pulled down, had, had Mustafi's pants down all game. So, yeah, it was great to see. But proper finish. Keeper had no chance. And just he was just too strong for him. He's obviously worked on his upper strength. And, no, it was excellent. Um, I just I don't want to spend a huge amount of time on this, guys. But I really want to talk about the sort of, I don't know if it's the elephant in the room or what, but I mentioned it earlier. It's about us being on the front foot. Do we feel, looking at that game, or look at that game in isolation, because obviously every game is different, we're, we looked so much better when we were attacking. But is it is it inevitable that you you can't do that? If, say if we'd opened up that little bit more, decided to take more risks... Do you think we would have lost that game? I've asked three of you at the same time and no one knows who to speak first, but let's pick someone. Chris, would we have lost that game if we'd t- taken the sort of the lead in terms of, oh, look, you know, they're, they're shaky at the back. They don't know what to do when we're attacking. Let's attack more. Let's take more risks. We didn't really need to score more goals at the end, but you know what I mean? Is, is the trade-off a difficult thing to, to sort of judge? Well, absolutely. I mean, that that is what, you know, football management is, isn't it? Is making, is having a plan, setting it up and delivering it. And, you know, I mean, that is something that actually a lot of the time we criticise Roy for is for being way too stuck to one particular plan and having started a game that way, sticking to it, you know, past 75 minutes, et cetera, et cetera. In this case, he had a plan um, and, you know, it seems to have worked. I mean, the, the interesting thing, I think, is that actually, to a large extent, it was quite close to a Pulis style planning that we were, you know, we were set up to be hard to beat. We were hard to 
get through. But we also had that one that quick break, you know, that that comes out in um, our second goal. Um, but also we have the um, you know we're set up in such a way that you know with the uh, set pieces. In fact, I think that came out in Roy's interview as well. Uh, that you know that was very much the game plan was to uh, organise around those things and let them have possession. Other than that, because they'll try and play through you, and if you're organised, they can't do it. Yeah, and that's where the old pro Hudson anti Hudson thing will come into it. Because when you think about it, the two Chelsea matches, I really felt we didn't even give it a, a good go. Whereas yesterday, I thought from the off we did, and I don't know if it was as much. It definitely has a lot to do with Hudson. I gave him credit earlier. I'm not going to take it away now, but I also think you know. And 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 Sly mentioned Arsenal TV. They used uh, that we were lucky yesterday in that they didn't have Ramsey, and they rested a couple of their defenders. Um, Monreal was one of them. So they were Mustafi was so poor, and as Sly said, Arsenal TV people were killing him yesterday. He was so poor. So it was it was a bit of a perfect storm for us in that they played the Europa League. They're playing again Wednesday. They had to uh, squad rotate. El Neni was awful. He passes sideways and backwards. But again, we capitalized. And I think Roy probably saw all those things, set up the way he did, didn't start Townsend, didn't start PVA. And it really worked out for us. And my frustration is that there have been other opportunities. Again, I've been to the two Chelsea matches where we could have done that, but would we have gotten, you know, uh, beat 4-0? I don't think we would have. But, you know, obviously we never know. But again, it's 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 a conundrum. It's the Roy conundrum. He'll always do things like that. Leicester's another perfect example of playing really well. Man City, obviously met Townsend's goal aside, but a really good setup he did and the way we played. And so it's 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 difficult to it's difficult to really get your head around it. But again, I just think that we should be more on the front foot in certain matches. I think we 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 would do better and hopefully we'll do that uh, you know, next season pushing forward. Yeah, for sure. And I think and it's on the same topics, the same concept really, this would be our last little point of discussion. And that is when we're talking about those things, what I guess what we're really saying is we're almost when teams give us possession, when we have the ball, you know, we're actually better without it almost. Um so really my question to, to to you guys is is how do we fix that? What do we need to do to change that? Or do we need to change that? Do we accept the the club that we are, the team that we are, the size that we are? And accept that when we're playing the bigger teams, that we're always going to have to do that. And really, the question is how do we, how do we cope when we're given more of the ball? We can't change it. We tried this before. I think we've done it twice now. We had Alan Pardew's famous transition, which led to one of the worst seasons on record. If it wasn't for that FA Cup final, it was awful. And I think Terence Ford is still is still traumatized by that game up at Swansea. So we, we can't do that to him again. We just can't do it. <laughs> and the other one was um, over in obviously Frank De Boer's appointment and I think we need to accept who we are we are a counter-attacking team we're very effective at it probably one of the best in the world at it actually and we just need to embrace it and play like that but that does come with a caveat which is I think we're going to struggle at home consistently because teams will sit back and they won't give us the space but saying that I think we just need to embrace it and carry on I think that there's there's another warning there as well that you don't have the same players we won't won't have the players that we've got forever and again it's it's all about how you try and manage that as well so again we're looking to the future we know we can have work to do soon and you know like I say when you've got someone like Zaha and we've had him in our team borrowing his, his little spell out for quite some time um you know the, the the way we play suits the best players that we've got at times but I you know I, I I'll be honest I'm starting to worry for next season because and that, that seemed a horrible place to be considering we're in a brilliant position points wise position and table wise 
we've played some, some decent football at times. Yes, we've we've been very negative as as fans at times this season because it's been hard to watch. But you know, with the pressure off a little bit now, and that that performance against Arsenal, which which was excellent and really has restored a lot of my uh, a lot of my faith in the club uh, and the management. I think you know it's we're still at a, on the cusp of something where we're going to have to make changes or at least make you know restructure, get replacements in for. For players and obviously staff as well in the not too distant future. I think it's an interesting time. I just want to come in quickly with a stat because I was just reflecting on uh, the conversation we were having there about um, you know whether we're too cautious. We haven't lost a single game by more than two goals all season. Now, I, I, I think that's quite remarkable considering. I mean, I suppose we're, we're mid-table and that's maybe where you'd expect it to be. But no one has tonked us. You know, the worst we've had is a three-one. Yeah, and there's a couple of those. Well, I think that. Yeah, yeah, I think, but I think that's reflective in the, um, I suppose, in, in, in what we've talked about all season. It's we we like to stay in games, and Roy has got a very good way of us doing that, even when we're playing the better sides. Basically, we we know we're going to be in the game, you know, within a goal or or two at worst for most of that game, uh, and he and, and try to take our opportunities when they come. I think that's that's exactly what you're seeing there. Um, and you know, and again, he's gone on record as saying, "Well, if we opened up more, we'd probably have lost three, four, or five. I just think at times there's an opportunity there. It's knowing when to take that risk, um, and it's not easy. If it was easy, everyone would be doing it. And you know, so I'm not trying to be hypercritical of it, but um, for me, that's where it's all about that balance now for me. Yeah, and again, I've been back and forth, back and forth, but I would say this: that give Hodgson a season with. Guaito in goal, a new left-back, Sacco, uh, Tompkins, a centre-half, one Basaka, Maya, Kiate, Luca, and another, let's say Townsend, and Wolf and Benteke up front. i take my chances with that squad, or that was, sorry, that 11. I really would. And we haven't seen that 11 all season. I don't think even once, and I, I would, because I, would, I don't think Guaito, Sacco, and Benteke played together uh, for a match more than a match or even a match at all if it did it was when uh, Benteke came back from the injury so my point being is that I would love to see that squad that 11 out there and with Roy with those tactics and see what we could do I think even at home we be we could do a little bit better but again it's a supposition isn't it it, it is yeah yeah but it's um it's good to be talking about these sorts of things off the back of a, a strong performance um again winning at the Emirates I think that's the first time ever isn't it we won at the Emirates Correct. First time since '94, we've beaten Arsenal away, which is brilliant. Well, there you go. So you know, it shouldn't be ignored. What a fabulous result that was, irrespective of how they played or who their who their team was. We've we've done a great job. It's also the first time. Is it ever that we've not lost one of the games to Arsenal in a season or something like that in the Premier League? Correct. Pretty sure that's also a stat. Yeah. So <laughs> crazy, isn't it? You know, huge, huge achievement. I hate um, them so much. So yeah, <laughs> definitely. But. Um, Obviously, credit to to Roy and the players for that today, and you know, great as I say, great to be talking about that game and all these things uh, off the back of a strong performance. So brilliant stuff! Thank you um, very much. We'll we'll call it quits there. Obviously, just point you in the direction of the Love Sports Show uh, Tuesday seven till nine. 
live and the podcast will be out shortly after that uh, preview show will be probably the Thursday I would guess um, and yeah thank you very much to everybody who got in touch once more if you like the show or even if you don't give us a five star review on your chosen podcast app which helps spread the word uh, and more people uh, get to listen to us um, and yeah thank you very much to Mikey for producing to Sai, to Chris and to Patrick and we'll be back next week Still, uh, still recording the old thing there, Michael. The old, uh, the old recording still running there. Uh, he's watching something on a different channel, isn't he? Yeah, like- I suspect, suspect he's uh, he's just always fallen asleep. That's a possibility. <laughs> he could have fallen asleep there. We weren't there, were I think at times, <laughs> at times we were quite boring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, I'm gonna click the old stop record button there, Mikey. At all, let's click the old, get the old button there to stop the old. Uh... I think he wasn't expecting us to finish so quickly. No, no, that's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's definitely stroking the old bishop, isn't he? Hundred percent. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll just uh, just send him a send him a, send him a WhatsApp. Let him know. Are we done? Sorry. Yeah, we are. Yeah, it's the ninetieth minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.